Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. We are not the water boys, we are entrepreneurs. The water boys in the hood. Why this hustle has become harassment, and what's behind the alarming number of our Gen Z brothers just trying to make a living? Mom, I feel like my day is not gonna go right. Then, crime in our community, destination New Orleans. Why the Big Easy has become a crime statistic, and how do we course correct? Get the kids something to do. That could be a fantasy. Plus. The BET Hip Hop Awards take over Atlanta. These different organizations will be integrated in a way that doesn't pay homage to the culture. Is it cultural appropriation or appreciation? We get into the HBCU versus PWI debate and it gets heated. All of that and more as... The Black News Revolution starts right now. I'm guest host Lindsey Granger. So we begin with investigating the dilemma of the water boys in the hood, the young people who illegally sell bottled water on our street corners. I mean, the practice is becoming more controversial as violent turf battles and aggressive sales tactics are overpowering their overall mission. That's tonight's top story. We, we are not water boys, we are entrepreneurs. Drive through Atlanta, chances are you've seen those kids selling bottled water at various intersections. I've been hustling since I was a young nigga. Selling water has become a viable alternative of something to do out of, outside of committing crime. Nigga was going home with like 300, 350, 400 a day. The water boy culture and the, the trap culture got in common is a lot of people involved come from a place of poverty. They all seem like they're all together, like the water boys, like they're all together, but they're not. So it's a big competition thing, um, which is like neighborhood territorial thing. They say the water boys are aggressive. Whatever I gotta do, even if I gotta jump in your car and down there, snatch the money out of your hand, I'm, I'm gonna do what I gotta do to make sure me and my family straight. But lately, many people have complained to city leaders about the kids being too aggressive and sometimes violent. This is not okay. This cell phone video seen online shows a kid throwing a water bottle at a car after the driver declined the offer. We do have some out there that have a very professional setup. Um, they got permits. going about it the right way and they're making their money. They're making the same money as the ones who are out being reckless, but they were taught better, they were shown better. Someone actually took the time to actually mentor them. A lot of these boys really want mentorship more than they want you to, to give them money or, or they would want mentorship because they, they lost and they're trying to find their way. It's bad for the kids. I don't want the kids in harm's way. Teenager gunned down while selling water on the side of a busy interstate off-ramp in broad daylight. And I don't want the kids in a situation where they can harm someone else. Two teenagers selling bottled water near the interstate became hostile with a woman who refused to buy anything. So it's bad on both sides. You should be at their homes when they're trying to struggle to put food on the table, and then you might understand a little bit better why they're out there in the first place.
Joining me to shed more light on Atlanta's Waterboy culture are the creator of the film Thirst Trap, Sensei Chop, Waterboy entrepreneur, Quintez Dixon, and mother of Jelani Pless, Mika Pless. Thank you guys so much for joining us because I know this is a tough topic and a topic that hits home specifically for you, Mika, um, with the loss of your son. But I wanna start with you, Quintez, because you still currently own a business. You are considered a water boy, but much more because you have Digum Snacks. Um, lots of people consider water boys a nuisance because they say that they're aggressive. So what's your response to that? Yeah, they are. They can tend to be a little aggressive, but I understand what they're trying to do as far as make money you know, stay out of trouble, because growing up in the city, it's, it's easy to get into trouble and hard to get out of. So, like, I commend them trying to stay out of trouble and, you know, stay on the right path, but I can't agree on that. They can do it a little better and, you know, be a little bit more professional on how they go about it. But when you think about the positive is the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. I know that it's probably hard for you, Mika, to see that when your son was lost to this. Yeah, he was actually a water boy himself. Um, he would he was getting in trouble with it at first. They would like stop him and bring him home, um, saying that he needed a permit or something like that. But after that, I didn't even know he was still doing it. And it's hard also because your son Jelani was trying to make money, so minimum wage is what it is. And then some water boys would say they were making fifty to one hundred dollars an hour because you have people who do want to invest in the black community to hand out a tent out their window for a $1 bottle of water. Mind you, you bought that whole pack of 24 from Family Dollar. So the, the ROI is way more than you can make working in McDonald's. And so you can't really blame the entrepreneurial spirit, but when you see senseless loss of life, you know, you want to look deeper into it like you did, Sensei. So is that what propelled you to write this documentary? Yeah, like during COVID, you seen like a big spike of the craziness with the water boys. You seen a lot of viral pictures, videos, and everything going up around that time. And during that time period, when you think about it, we didn't know what the state of the country was going to be. These kids can't go to school; they're at home. A lot of their parents lost their jobs, so a lot of these kids became the breadwinners. If they weren't out there to get that money by any means, they might not be able to eat. They might not be able to have any water, and. Since I'm closer to the actual culture of it, I seen really what was going on for real. And it, just, it was just kind of like bothering me a little bit seeing people just showcasing and highlighting the ignorance of it and not realizing like, I mean, people out here like Tez, you got real deal entrepreneurs, like it doesn't end here. And this is where it's starting at. You got people like Jelani who's like, I'm trying to get a car, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make this money. I'm not about to be out here big and I'm gonna do what I gotta do. People don't understand that this started during the pandemic. People were suffering, but there were also like 700 some odd calls to the police during the time from January to June when this first started, when the pandemic was kicking off. So it was an incident where they're battling back and forth, but your son didn't die at the hands of the police. He died at the hands of another water boy. Can you tell that story and paint the picture so people understand? Okay, so I'm sorry. Um... On the 26th, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Around 11, he left out to go celebrate his friend's birthday. He came in um, around 8, 8.30. On the 27th, he was like, Mom, I'm going to sell water in Midtown. I was like, why? 
And he was like, the man was like, he just was $500 short from a down payment on a car that he wanted. Um, so I helped him pack his book back. He left. He called me around 1024 and was like, Mom, I feel like my day's not gonna go right. So I told him to come home. I got the call at 219, asked me where he was. And I said he was in Midtown selling water. His girlfriend started screaming. And she said they had FaceTime him. <laughs> and told her that he had been shot, that he was just laying there not breathing, he wasn't moving. Um, so I didn't immediately leave. I started praying. Um, one of the young boys that was with him mother came and picked me up. Um, we drove down there. We sat, they wouldn't let me see him. We sat, we sat, we sat. Um, probably an hour later, the medical examiner, she came over and asked me to identify him um, just by some stuff that was on his body, what he had on. And that's when she opened up the phone and told me that was my baby. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mika, because nobody wants to be in that situation as a mother or a father. You know, that's obviously the worst case scenario. And when we look at um, other solutions, I want to go to you, Quintez. What's, what's the bigger issue? What do people need? Um, what are you looking for? Would you rather community programs that provide the same type of pay you're making from your business? Or are you inspired by the entrepreneurial actions that you're able to be part of? Or what's the solution so that you can also be happy and pursue your career goals but also save lives like Jelani's could have been here today. Um, I feel like that they should have like a particular class or something where they teach them how to be more professional and they teach them how to go about it. Like more not really. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Stopping them from doing it, but put them in a, like, show them a better light and how to do it. Because, I mean, it, I have seen it for myself. It do get out of hand. Like, I have seen it for myself. I actually went to other, like, blocks and places, like, in Atlanta just to see how they sell. And, you know, it... It, take, it takes a lot, because I, I be trying to talk to them, but it's like, you know, they kind of got their own way. You know, a lot of them not too far from my age. So it's just, I feel like somebody should just teach them or show them, like, how I try to do it, but I can't do it by myself. I want to thank you guys so much for coming in, Quintez, Mika, Sensei. Coming up, guys, we get into the controversial conversation about cultural appropriation or appreciation in the HBCU PWI debate. That's ahead. Welcome back. Tonight we focus on New Orleans, which has become the latest city that has black Americans battling crime. So what is the solution? That's what we're exploring tonight. This is the New Orleans most of us know, but outside of the eyes of a tourist, this isn't reality for many New Orleans residents. Don't live to see 20. It used to be right. 25. Don't live to see 29. This is New Orleans, Louisiana, man. man. Cutthroat. There is a new murder capital in America. 
New Orleans. What happened at the New Orleans? For a city whose grit and rawness is often highlighted and celebrated, the glitz and glamour often portrayed in Hollywood has become a real-life nightmare for people living in the city. Every 46 hours, a New Orleans police officer leaves the force. You know, I live in the city, so I always see the billboards of them trying to recruit officers and stuff like that. So I already, I already knew that they were kind of running thin on police officers. And plus, you just hang out out in the city and you don't see not one police car. Let me see your hands, bro. Let me see your hands. The police shortage has raised the question of not only why, but once again, is the answer more or less police on the street? New Orleans and, and, and my state, we need 2,000 cops on the street. We've got less than 1,000. And it's become political. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy has made headlines for what some are calling a racist and insensitive political ad. I opposed defunding the police. Look, if you hate cops just because they're cops, call a crackhead. The police department is like so thin, it's easy to get away with whatever it is you want to get away with out here. And that includes murder. Joining me now for more on what's going down in New Orleans are Tiffany Kelly, a professor at Delgado Community College in New Orleans, Boogie B, comedian and host of New Orleans Trap History, and New Orleans recording artist Laveau. So let's get right into it. U.S. Senator John Kennedy is clapping back at Defund the Police in his latest political re-election ad, specifically tackling the violence in Louisiana. So first of all, is he even the person to speak for the community? I'll start with you, Laveau. But what's really the solution if it's not defunding the police to this spike? I don't think defunding the police is going to help solve with the crime issue in New Orleans, especially as it relates to murder, because I think the lack of police presence in New Orleans directly contributes to the spike in the murder rate. And so, Boogie B, I'll ask you, because we talk about defunding the police as a community, and I understand, you know, the police was based out of catching slaves in the South when it first was developed, you know, back in the day. So... I understand defund the police, but who's protecting the city if we're defunding the police? Who's coming out when New Orleans specifically is down 300 officers from 2019? Defund the police is not defunding the police. It is taking a portion of the budget for the police and putting it in psychological and other areas of policing. It's actually just creating a department of uh, inside of the police department that allows for people who have mental health issues. And nobody takes that, nobody understands that. All they hear is defund the police, and it sounds negative, but defunding the police is actually going to help the community because some people genuinely have mental health issues and they end up in jail or shot because police aren't trained to deal with people with mental issues. I want to push back a little bit. Honestly, are therapists and psychologists really going to help solve the crime? You guys are the murder capital of the country. So you're telling me that more therapists are going to solve the sol make a solution to all this? It's probably not going to be the end-all, be-all, right? But everything that happens outside starts within. So what Boogie is saying, I agree with. We definitely have to start with mental health and the conditions that create this mental illness for these people who are out committing these crimes. And, I, and he's right. When you hear the term defund police, you automatically think that means take resources away from the police department. But that's not what it is. We just need to redirect the resources that we do give to the police department. So maybe we should stop saying 
defund the police and come up with a different term for that so it can be better understood. But Tiffany, you talk about it being a much bigger issue. Uh, you and I had a long conversation last night. Like, this is more than just crime. It's about the repeat trauma of the community. Tell us a little bit about that. New Orleans, of course, the history goes back 300 years, back to slavery. And as you know, New Orleans is slow. It's not as progressive. So there's a lot of tie holds onto the city that, that stem from 300 years ago. And um, the city constantly gets re-traumatized, whether that be through uh, extensive poverty, through natural disasters, and then recently with COVID, um, also with mass incarceration. Like people are losing people you know, to mass incarceration and that's making living situations harder, making it harder for people to, to make a way to survive. And in turn, they turn to crime as well as the youth. The youth don't have a lot of outlets like there once was or once was trying to be in the city. So again, that, that, that turns to, to crime throughout the city. And all of this is just a re-traumatization of things that have been happening from generation to generation. We live in a city where there's a lack of police presence, right? Well, where there's no police presence, there's no, there's no crime prevention. And then there's no consequences for these crimes people are committing. And I'm speaking specifically about murder. They didn't change this until just recently. You get charged for murder, they got 60 days to indict you. If they don't find a witness or a murder weapon in 60 days, you're back on the street. There's no police presence, so no crime prevention, right? And then after a crime gets committed, you don't have anybody being convicted of these crimes. The detectives who are out to investigate and solve these crimes, by the time somebody get killed today, by the time he make it back to his office from the crime scene, he got three more murders on his desk. They run really, really thin. They don't even have, they don't have the manpower. The people who want to commit these crimes, they know this. And I believe that strongly influences people to go out and commit these crimes. People don't do what they want to do. People do what they, they feel like they can get away with. Hold on, LaVoe is deeper than that, though. Because I'm not saying that's the end all be all. I'm just saying specifically about why the increase in murder. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not speaking about crime as a whole, right? I'm not they speaking increase. about all murders and all criminals. I'm speaking specifically about the spike in murder. What is a realistic solution then? Do any of you guys have solutions that you like to present today that you think will help the city of New Orleans? Yes. Get the kids something to do. Yeah, programs for the youth restructuring the police force, but there needs to be a lot more programs for and help for the citizens, opportunities for the citizens, um, more Stop money. All that corruption in government, let right. that money trickle down to the, to the community. Right, instead of putting so, money into, so much money into tourism, some money needs to go back into the citizens that actually live there. Okay, well, listen, guys, clearly this conversation can go on. I thank you all so much for being here. We're going to keep talking about this. So switching gears, now to those headlines that take us outside of our borders, it's time to go black all over the world. I stand on justice, right? And I, I want them to bring her back. She's been on there far too long. We all know, let's be clear, if this was in the United States, that would not even have gone down like that. However, we gotta follow the rules, right? We gotta make sure that we do things in decency and in order. We start in Russia, where even though the fight for Brittany Griner's freedom has simmered on a public scale, there are still those keeping her in the public eye. I want us to give more money to the hostage uh, section of the Department of uh, State because people like Brittany Griner in cages in Russia and we have to get our hostages out. We are 231 days and counting since her detainment. 
BG is currently preparing for her October 25th trial date related to her nine-year sentence. I think we all know that, that 10 years is a long time. I see her as a, as a mother, as a sister, um, as a spouse, as a daughter. While there's no official word on a prisoner swap, stateside President Biden has met with Griner and Paul Whelan's family in hopes to bring them home. Next up, we head to Lagos, Nigeria. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Inflation and unemployment at an all-time high? Their 2023 presidential race is in full swing. I believe that the two parties are part of the problem. I don't see them being part of the solution. With peace as the mission, Peter Obai is leading the polls as Atiku Abubakar and other candidates begin their campaigns. There's a calculated effort in understanding who's going to be this person, this, this job. If that's the only one we want in government, how do we as an ecosystem position ourselves to ensure that the person who we think is the right person for that role is the person that sits there? This campaign is different. It's reaching past their borders to the United States. As many who recently celebrated Nigerian independence are urging others to support their candidates. We want a man, a governor, a president that will hear the voice of the masses. Last stop. As we reach the seventh week of unrest in Haiti, economic and political woes continue to mount as the Dominican Republic Army has now steamrolled into the country, injuring and killing protesters. It's not only us in the civil society who are failing Haiti. Our friends in the international community are also failing Haiti. Many are calling this a humanitarian issue as countries such as Mexico and the U.S. have offered aid and support. The Haitians themselves need to be at the center of building stability and a long-term future for Haiti. And you guys know we'll stay on top of those headlines for you. Stay with us for the entertainment remix and who's in the system when Revolt Black News Weekly returns. Welcome back, everyone. I'm guest host Lindsay Granger. Kennedy Rue is here with our entertainment fix. And Lindsay, tonight's remix jumps off with all things hip hop as BET celebrates the genre and takes over the ATL. And Will Smith's Emancipation kicks off the remix. Slaves are free. Is that true? Lincoln. 
months of speculation, Will Smith's Apple TV Plus thriller Emancipation will be released in December, just in time for award season. After the infamous slap and the Academy suspending Smith for 10 years, many thought Apple might hold the film and let the controversy die out. This is a film about resilience. You know, this is a, a film about faith. Smith, who is the star and producer of the thriller about a slave's unrelenting fight for freedom, could still be nominated for his work. But Will won't be invited to Oscar's big night. I will look in triumph at my enemies. As you know, Rihanna has been tasked with headlining the Super Bowl performance next year. Do you have any advice for her for taking the stage? I, I, I really don't have any advice for Rihanna because she's a professional. She's going to kill it. She's got hit after hit after hit. She's one of the most confident women, in, in, you know, in, in the game. <laughs> but before the queen of hip-hop soul cheers on Riri's Super Bowl touchdown, she's on a campaign for women's health. She's partnered with Hologic playing a PSA about preventative screenings during her current tour. When breast and cervical cancers are detected earlier, a woman's chance of survival is greater. So it's critical that we schedule those well women exams and annual mammograms. So you've partnered with Hologic to encourage women to get their mammograms, to get their pap smears. Were you always diligent about getting screened? And if so, what changed? When I was growing up, no one spoke about mammograms. It's just you have a family member that would just up and die from breast cancer. When Hologic came to me, I just had an aunt pass away from breast cancer. And so that's why I thought it was important to me. I have this platform to, these are the things that can help us to heal from the inside out. It's Kid Cudi like you've never seen before. At the premiere of his new Netflix animated special, Intergalactic, streaming now, the One Sock Wonder celebrated his current racy Esquire cover. No, I'm a big fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that, that photo was always iconic and rock and roll to me, and I was just trying to have a rock and roll moment, man. I was feeling myself, you know? I come from a generation of pain. The 17th annual BET Hip Hop Awards delivered Kendrick Lamar to the top with six wins. Lotto brought huge energy, banking her first song of the year victory for Big Energy. And Revolt chairman Diddy is beyond proud after his son King Combs lit up the Atlanta stage performing his new hit single, Can't Stop, Won't Stop. I just talked that about the knees, that's my language. Wakanda forever. For the surface world. For the first time, we get a full look at the mysterious new Black Panther in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Marvel still tight-lipped on who's behind the mask after Chadwick Boseman's tragic death, but all will be revealed when the Wakanda legacy continues in theaters November 11. Show them who we are. Quavo and Takeoff dropping their new collaboration Friday. Quavo believes the album only built for Infinity Links is his best music to date. 
who's up for some Shaq shots? Shaquille O'Neal makes his Drink Champs debut on an all-new episode tonight on Revolt. Let's do a commercial right quick. I'm gonna look at the camera and say, Mama, say that I drink, and then you do it in your Spanish voice. No, 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 And Solange makes history. The Grammy winner becoming the second black woman to ever compose music for the New York City Ballet. Her big sis Beyonce posting pride and admiration for the massive achievement and ending with these parting words. Might I suggest you not blank with my sis. Duly noted, Queen B. Now on to the legal headlines that the culture is following. The suspects behind PNB Rock's murder are now in custody. And that kicks off who's in the system. Caught and in the clink, a father and his teenage son have been arrested in connection with the fatal shooting of the rapper PNB Rock. Freddie Lee Trone and his unidentified son were arrested in Las Vegas by authorities. The two are facing murder and second degree robbery along with Chantel Trone. California police say that PNB Rock was shot while having lunch with his girlfriend at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles in South LA. It's still unclear what led to the shooting. Police first said that an Instagram post might have helped lead the suspects to PNB Rock's whereabouts. Also in California, a groundbreaking court decision that restricts the use of rap lyrics in criminal trials. The Black Music Action Coalition called the bill, which was signed by Governor Gavin Newsom, a quote, crucial step in the right direction of not injecting racial bias into court proceedings. Killer Mike, Meek Mill, Too Short, Ty Dolla Sign, YG, E-40, and even Tyga, as well as the CEO of the Recording Academy, Harvey Mason Jr., all attended the virtual ceremony. Now to the Windy City. A grand jury has indicted a former Chicago area police officer for the fatal shooting of a black teen and the injury of his girlfriend. Waukegan police officer Dante Salinas is now charged with second-degree murder and involuntary manslaughter in the death of 19-year-old Marcella Stinnett. An investigation conducted by the Illinois State Police and an independent crime scene analyst determined the officer was not in any danger when he shot the teen. We'll stay on these headlines for you guys. Meantime, there's more Revolt Black News Weekly when we return. Some of the controversy is because Majorette Dance, you know, is at HBCUs, which is historical black colleges and universities. And we attend a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. Mm. Uh, however, it's, that makes it even more important for us to create black spaces for ourselves. Welcome back to Revolt Black News Weekly. I'm guest host Lindsey Granger. So as of late, there's been some debate about cultural appropriation over appreciation. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's the conundrum of preserving HBCU culture at predominantly white institutions. So we're getting into that conversation tonight. Joining me, the founder of Black Woman on a Mission, Camille McCallum, and co-host of Head Wraps and Lipsticks podcast, I love that name, Sierra Tribble. Okay, so I want to start with Sierra. Let's just get right to it. You have an issue with this. People are in uproar about the USC, which is a PWI, major at D. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's your issue? My issue for me is very cut and dry. I think 
when we are putting out and making our own spaces in PWIs, I think we need to be a little bit more careful about sharing our culture in those spaces. And for me, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to think that at some point we will have people of other races engaging and, and interacting with our culture without paying respect and homage to it. That's where I'm finding my issue is as someone who has not attended a PWI. Got it. So you went to North Carolina A&T. I heard some Aggie pride in the background earlier. And then Camille, yes. you went to University <laughs> of Mississippi, which is a PWI. I went to Temple University. We were in the middle of North Philly. So in my mind, it was a HBCU. I know it wasn't. So Sierra's about to slap me. So look, look, tell me something. Camille, what are your thoughts about that? Like, I wish that we had all the things that some HBCUs like my friends at Howard had, but we didn't. And I would have loved to felt that camaraderie when I was in the middle of North Philly, because there was a lot of black love and black pride there. It literally is the city of brotherly love. So Camille, how do you feel when you hear people say this and so critical about what's going on? I think when you're at a PWI, you're working so hard to try and carve out a space for yourself that feels black, um, along with the few other black students that are there. Um, so at the University of Mississippi, there's about 30,000 students and only about 3,000 of those students are black. Um, and so we're existing within our own little bubble in our own little community, um, trying to create things and spaces for ourselves because the majority of the campus culture is not meant for us. Um, so when I hear things like, I think in the future, you know, these different um, organizations will be integrated in a way that doesn't pay homage to the culture. I think sometimes we're giving kind of people on the other side a little bit too much credit um, that they would either even be qualified to be you know, on something like a majorette dance line, which I know, you know, if I was a student at Jackson State University, which is the predominant um, HBCU in my state, I wouldn't be able to, to make the Prancing J sets line. You know what I mean? It, it's something that's, that's very difficult and very prestigious. Um, so I don't see somebody from a different culture that hasn't been trained in that style just walking onto that team. Um, in the same way that you see many other organizations at PWIs are still not very integrated um, because those communities are very insular um, and those kind of those different mechanisms are still a little bit segregated in and of themselves. Camille, we we all saw Bring It On. You know how that goes. Like, I know people might not be trained to do the exact steps, but they might copy and try to do the steps. And then when that moment goes viral, that's why HBCU attendees get so mad. And you know, you both ladies know the history of HBCUs. Like, we literally were legally not allowed to get into PWIs, so we created a safe space for ourselves. So, Sierra, talk about why you think it's so important to, like, reserve the Black experience for HBCUs only? Is it because we literally created this in spite of the BS we were hit with by not being allowed to attend PWIs? You know, I think for, and I think Camille has some absolutely wonderful points about being a student, at, a black student at a PWI, but I think we also have to think, take into account that the fact that white people don't need our permission to do anything, and we find so many times often in culture, hip hop, fashion, music, that they, they take from us anyway without paying proper homage. And I'm worried about that coming back full circle in the future. And it's something that we can't get out of. Being an alumni of an HBCU, we really definitely do hold everything that we do uh, close to our heart and close to our chest because we know you guys fought for this. You guys weren't allowed to be at other uh, PW uh, institutions. And so it means so much to us. And I think that's kind of where we are. And I'm not, and I'm, my, my point of view isn't to, shame the young lady who started the team because I know I can only imagine the kind of like hard work she had to do to get like people to sign petitions or anything. 
I really just kind of wish maybe she had tried something just a little bit different. I respect everything that she's done, but I'm just a little bit worried about holding the culture close to our heart. That's exactly where I'm at. So I want to ask you first, starting with Sierra, what's your opinion? Um, will this be positive or negative and have a negative effect on HBCU culture? You think it's taking away from or adding to? You know, Lindsay, I honestly don't know because, you know, the band, we, you know, we've all seen uh, <laughs> the, the movie with Nick Cannon, you know, halftime is game time. Drumline, yes, thank you. And that is a big recruitment tool for HBCUs. I am a little bit nervous. I can't lie to you and say that I'm not. I am nervous at how this will take an effect enrollment at HBCUs. You know, we're finally getting to a point where we're, we're having like D1 athletes come to HBCUs and attend and, you know, do great things afterwards. And so I'm very worried about enrollment. And, you know, we think about schools that have closed down because they didn't have enough enrollment. I'm very much worried about enrollment and keeping the history and the heritage of HBCUs at HBCUs. And what about you, Camille? I don't see, you know, eight girls on the dance line at USC having a major impact on enrollment at HBCUs across the country. I think when we see prominent people like Deion Sanders at Jackson State um, taking a vested interest in HBCUs and in HBCU culture, also bringing in so much of the city, the state, the people around it to support HBCUs, right? Because I'm a PWI grad, but I support my, um, you know, my local HBCU. I'm all about Jackson State, you know, the I love all the way. Um, and so in that sense, I think we have a lot more of HBCU culture coming to prominence, right? Because even with this USC dance squad, half the conversation is around HBCUs, which brings them back into the spotlight. For better or worse, the conversation is being had. And so that brings awareness to more and more students and also gives people at HBCUs and administrators an opportunity to dispel the myths. Because a lot of people will say about HBCUs, it's too expensive or there's not enough slots or or whatever um, the case may be in terms of why a student can't attend. And that gives those HBCU professionals an opportunity to say, these are the things that we have to offer. These are the things that make us special. And this is what makes our school accessible. Right. Because I know for me, when I was going to school, and HBCU was not accessible. I had one full ride scholarship to one school. And <laughs> right. so that was the school we was going to because that was the school that was free. And I think, like you said, Camille, getting a college degree is the goal. Also, Beyonce didn't do any harm by having Baychella and bringing all the attention to HBCUs. <laughs> I want to thank you both. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And when we come back, our revolutionary of the week. Welcome back. We leave you with an inspiring Black American who's all about financial wealth building. And Isaac Hayes III is on a mission to help content creators to make money and expand their content. His fan-based movement is what makes Isaac our Revolutionary of the Week. It's really, really important for everybody that moving forward to be able to monetize their content capitalize off the new world that's about to come in the next five or ten years. So Fanbase is the, is, the, is the first microcast social media network, as I call it. Microcasting is person, direct-to-person subscription. I subscribe directly to the individual for the content that they want, but it's inside of a social network. So Fanbase was the very first platform to do that with an in-app purchase. So when you see Instagram start doing subscriptions, you know where they got it from. I mean, we have work to do. Um, but I know that we're in the right direction and, and we're building something. We're innovating the space 
and we're putting the power in the hands of the user. We don't throttle down content, suppress content, shadow banning, you hear those words used all the time. That's not what fan base is about. We want as many people to see your content as possible and for you to have the opportunity to make as much money as you can by doing so. So I don't, you know, I'm not worried about the Instagrams or the Facebook of the world. I just feel like that those are older platforms that will eventually die. Social media is built on the generation that makes it relevant. And so as newer generations come along, they're not going to look at Facebook as like, ooh, I'm going to start on Facebook. That's like, that's where my grandmother is. So they're going to want their own social network. So I want Fanbase to be the, pl the platform, the centennial generation, generation alpha. I want them to have that as a place where they can build their community. A brother helping us all to take control of our financial wealth and unapologetically, well done. Yep, that does it for us. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.